Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. Welcome to Morning Shot. I'm Ahmad Akhtar. 2023 will come to a close in just two weeks. And as we wrap up the year, we're taking a moment today to reflect on what's been going on around the world politically. In the past two years, we've seen the most conflicts of any time since the end of the Second World War. Signs of a ceasefire in Gaza are slowly shrinking. An ongoing bitter and bloody war in Ukraine is bringing devastation to the country, further isolating Russia from the West and fueling economic insecurity worldwide. But the list doesn't just end there. All this comes on top of other hostilities, especially in a world that's seemingly becoming more polarized. For more insights, we're joined by Professor Kishore Mabubani. He's a distinguished fellow from the Asia Research Institute at the National University of Singapore. Professor, good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. All right, Professor, too much to talk about and too little time on our hands, really, but let's get to the crux of it. We're almost two years into Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The World Bank says it's expecting Ukraine's GDP to increase around 4% next year. That's despite the country's economic output being smaller than before the war. Now, beyond the fluctuation of global oil prices that have been witnessed due to the war, what other kind of impact have we seen here in Asia? Well, the bad news, of course, is that the Ukraine war is not likely to end soon. And I think it's important for me to emphasize at the outset that geopolitics is a very cold and cruel business. And you have to be very cold and clinical uh, when you analyze it. And it's very clear that while there are signs that both Europe, the populations of Europe and even the United States are getting exhausted by the war in Ukraine, the Russia isn't. And, you know, uh, certainly the Russian invasion of Ukraine was illegal, but at the same time is also understandable given Russian concerns about security not having NATO at their borders. So as a result of that, I think the war will definitely carry on, certainly until the American presidential elections are over in November 2024. But the good news for us is that it will have very little impact in terms of Asian economic growth. Right. Now, you mentioned geopolitics being a cold and cruel business. Hindsight is obviously a 2020 game at the best of times. But from a geopolitical study standpoint, could this war have been prevented, Prof? Oh, this is clearly one of the most preventable wars in human history, mainly because two of the greatest thinkers that the United States produced, geopolitical thinkers, were George Kennan and Henry Kissinger. In fact, I met both of them. I met George Kennan in 1998. And I met Henry Kissinger last year in October 2022. And both of them had warned many years ago that if you keep expanding NATO to the borders with Russia, at some point in time, Russia will react and there'll, there'll be a war. So the warnings were given very early on. And I can tell you that the Henry Kissinger wrote an article in the Washington Post in the year 2014, uh, almost 10 years ago, warning about this war and saying the best way to avoid such a war is to allow, have a formula for peace whereby Ukraine keeps its independence and sovereignty. Ukraine can join the European Union, but that Ukraine would not join NATO. Mm. I, and and, and the, the sad part is that if his formula had been adopted by United States and Europe, this war would have been prevented. Mm. So it's such a pity that the advice of Henry Kissinger was ignored by the West. 
All right. As we speak, we're also hearing reports that the chances of a ceasefire in Gaza are shrinking as well. Uh, will there be a resolution on that front? And if so, how soon can we expect it? Well, I think the war in Gaza also illustrates my key point I made at the beginning that geopolitics is a cold and cruel business. Mm. So even though 153 countries voted in the UN to call for a ceasefire in Gaza, Israel uh, doesn't feel that pressure because Israel has the absolute support uh, of the United States, especially the United States Congress. And, and as you know, Joe Biden and his team would very much like to see some kind of ceasefire. But Joe Biden's hands are tied. And if the U.S. Congress uh, doesn't support him, he'll be unable to persuade Israel to go for a ceasefire. Let's talk about Joe Biden and his team in other ways. Uh, the U.S.-China ties, you could possibly say there's an ideological war being waged on that front. Some analysts are saying that the relationship between these countries are increasingly driven by domestic concerns, both sides entering an era of potentially minimal cooperation. Do you agree? And where does this place Singapore, given that Singapore has strong business and political ties with both? Well, clearly, uh, of the three topics we are, we are discussing, Ukraine, Gaza, and U.S.-China, the one contest that is the most consequential for Singapore is the U.S.-China contest. Mm. And I want to emphasize that what's driving this contest is not domestic issues, but an iron law of geopolitics going back 2,000 years, which says that whenever the world's number one emerging power, which today is China, is about to overtake the world's number one power, which today is the United States. The world's number one power will always push down the world's number one emerging power. And as you know, I wrote a book, Has China Won, that documents how this works. So it's very, very clear that over the next 10 years, the U.S.-China contest will accelerate because many people in uh, Washington, D.C. believe that the U.S. has about 10 years to stop China from becoming number one. And so year by year, you will find more and more measures being taken by the United States against China. And you've seen, you've seen the trade tariffs, you've seen the uh, restrictions of the export of chips. Now you're going to see restrictions on investment in China. So clearly all kinds of measures will be taken against China. And we in Singapore and Southeast Asia must be very careful. And the best way for Singapore to protect itself is to strengthen ASEAN as much as possible. And, and, I, and it's a, such a pity that many Singaporeans don't appreciate the fact that our best shield that we have in Singapore from geopolitical pressures is a strong ASEAN. And we should be strengthening ASEAN instead of rubbishing it as like many Singaporeans do. So, Prof, against the backdrop of everything we've discussed, the million-dollar question I guess I have for you is what would peace look like in this increasingly multipolarized world? Well, the, the paradox about the next 10 years is that geopolitics is going to become much, much more active on many fronts. But yet, at the same time, I think we, are, we are probably can avoid direct wars and conflicts say, especially between United States and China. Because in a nuclear war between U.S. and China, you won't have a winner and a loser. You'll have a loser and a loser. So we can, we, even though the contest between U.S. and China will accelerate, we can still work hard to prevent war from breaking out. And that's why, as you know, we have also launched something called the Asian Peace Program at National University of Singapore, mm. 
to help make help ensure that over the next 10 years as the geopolitics become more challenging we are working equally hard to preserve peace in east asia let's go back to singapore again you talked about strengthening ASEAN being one of the strategies we should try to embrace. Uh, What else can we continue to do to thrive both economically and politically from a global standpoint, not just within the context of U.S.-China relations? Well, you know, Singapore has done an amazingly good job so far of navigating the geopolitical contest. And I say this because as you look around Asia, you see uh, contests within U.S. and China, you see uh, rivalry within India and China. You see continuing problems within China and Japan. And, and I mentioned these are the sort of the major powers operating in Asia. And what's amazing is that Singapore has been able to develop good ties with all of them, with the United States, with China. And as you can see from today's Straits Times with Japan and also with India. I think that's something that uh, our founding fathers uh, Lee Kuan Yew, Go King Sui, and Roger Ratnam taught uh, Singaporeans that as a small state, you must try to be friends with all, while of course defending your own interests uh, whenever you have to. So it will definitely, uh, in geopolitical terms, it will be among the most dangerous territory for Singapore over the next 10 years. But fortunately, we have developed the instincts and habits of dealing with such geopolitical contests So I remain quite optimistic that Singapore will manage these issues well over the next 10 years. All right, Prof, let's touch on the United Nations. Now, it obviously holds great responsibility in maintaining international peace and security, uh, delivering humanitarian aid, among other things. Given how increasingly polarized the world has become, what do you see the UN's role being in the near future? Has it failed in its mission? Well, the United Nations, you're right, is extremely important. And, you know, having served as Singapore's ambassador to the UN for over 10 years, I know that institution very well. And I can tell you, I belong to an endangered species called the lovers of the United Nations. Uh, And you're absolutely right when you say that the UN is weak. But you have to know also that the United Nations is weak, not, not, how do you say, because of failures of its own, but it's weak by design because the major powers want to keep the United Nations weak. And that's why the interests of the major powers and the interests of small states like Singapore are very different. Mm. It's in the interests of small states like Singapore to protect the UN and to strengthen the UN. And whenever we can, speak positively about the UN. Now, I can understand why great powers, I mean, like the United States, run down the United Nations because... As a senior American official told me once, the United Nations constrains American power. So it's natural for the United States to try to weaken the United Nations. But for us in Singapore, we must do whatever we can to strengthen the UN. Because at the end of the day, if you want to make sure that Singapore is around in 50 years and 100 years from now, one of the institutions we need to protect is the UN because it is the principles of the UN Charter that protects small states like Singapore. All right, Prof, thank you so much. That was very insightful. My pleasure. All right, that was Professor Kisho Mababani, Distinguished Fellow from the Asia Research Institute at the National University of Singapore. Stay with Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.